This episode of Coin Talk was taped Friday, May 7th at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Ethereum price index was $3,490. Hello and welcome to Coin Talk. You asked for it. You're getting it. I caught Jay on a rare day where I could he could not escape me. And I have reeled him in for another edition of Coin Talk. It's good to be here. I forgot your enthusiastic show intro. It's great. Yeah, that feel, was, I'm I'm revved up now. That was the highest energy I've been during the entire pandemic. <laughs> well, I'm glad I could bring that out. <laughs> I don't know if people who listen to this show realize this, but like we don't actually we we like telegram with each other, but we don't Zoom chat. So this is the first time I've spoken to you since the last time we did this show. How you been doing? I'm all right. Um, I don't know when the last time we did the show was. Neither do I. But what, it was like a few months yeah, ago. Yeah, it was kind of like peak NFT mania. That's right. That's right. We're, are we past that peak right now, would you say? Well, that's something I, I sort of want to discuss. Um, certainly you could say like the peak sales, like Beeple stuff, I think is like way more than 50% off of its high. Uh, B20, which was like a fund of Beeple artwork, I think is down about 90%. And oh, wow. I wouldn't say that we're like over the peak, but like some of the things that were working then maybe don't work quite as easily now. Like these combinatory NFT projects that are kind of in the model of CryptoPunks. Um, mm. There was one called the Larva Labs who did CryptoPunks came out with their new thing, which is called MeBits. I think I think you were FOMOing a MeBit at one point. Yeah. But they came out and were 2.5 ETH. So they're starting close to, you know, seven, $9,000. I guess I feel like it feels like a less like vibrant era of uh, area of discovery now and more like people are sort of entrenching and trying to profiteer. Hmm. Yeah. I, I think that, uh, well, what are they entrenching into if not profiteering? Well, I I don't begrudge them at. I think people just kind of realized the game, which was to buy a lot of these NFT projects up. So, you know, as degenerates like ourselves, I guess what I'm saying is I think a lot of the easier opportunities are gone. I don't think you can like FOMO into a bunch of dumb NFTs and make thousands of dollars like when you bought that NFT, that e Honda NFT. Oh my God. Yeah. So, wait a minute, wait a minute. How much did you sell that for again? Um, I think 0.8 ETH. Okay, so that you sold that NFT for almost three thousand dollars. I know, I can't. <laughs> <believe> it. <laughs> it was Honda slapping a butt. That was yeah. that. We're not still in the era where you can sell an Honda slapping a butt NFT for more than almost three thousand dollars. I don't think, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, I look. I will say that in the defense of the person who bought it and myself, that of the NFTs I've seen. I still like that one. I know? do too. I, I could tell right after you saw it that you were sad that you didn't have it. And I can kind of see in your eyes, people who are listening might notice, you're still like wonder. you're still like, okay, okay, it was worth selling for 2800 but like, if I could get it back for like a grand, I'd do it. <laughs> uh, no, uh, you're not wrong. I, I will say that the second I sold it, I was like, kind of like, whoa, that was cool. And then 10 minutes later, I was like, oh man, like, you know, I kind of wish I still had it. And now I do because I don't know. It's like a good story and it's funny and it's like you know, there are other ways to make ETH, but I still haven't really found an NFT that I liked as much as that one. Like I literally just bought it because I thought it was so funny, you know. But um, 
I don't know. Have you been able to, like the last time we talked, we had all the domain name stuff that we talked about, right? Yeah. How's that going for you? That one has been a flop so far. So I went in heavy on the domain names. I still think it might pay out, but it's gotten a little complicated where there's also this thing called handshake domains that one of the things people don't like about these .eth ENS domains is you have to renew them every year. So it's a hassle in the same way that regular domain registration is, whereas handshake domains, I think, are just in perpetuity because they're stored differently on chain. I couldn't tell you exactly what's going on. But as far as I know, no one has like become the dominant NFT domain thing yet. So I'm going to keep hodling those. I have a really incredible assortment of NBA teams. So I just think I got to wait till Cuban finds me. And maybe he listens to this show. Look, if you did, listen you to email sh- him or anything. Or have you like been preemptive? About I don't it? have Cuban's email. I tried to get look when Ledger had him on his show. I tried to get Ledger to shell Mavs.eth to Cuban on the show, and I told him I'd give him twenty five percent if he sold it. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't. He didn't even respond to the telegram. He didn't even <laughs> deign to tell me it was a bad idea. He just kept on moving. <laughs> so I have. Uh, I still have my collection of small. New England elite liberal arts colleges. Uh, like, I know that you generally thought that this was a stupid idea, but I've talked to other people who were like, that's the best idea I've heard. And um, I'm just waiting basically for these places to start getting worried about blockchain stuff and saying, like, we need to, like, because it's not really that they want it. It's more that they just want to do it defensively so that I don't start putting up a bunch of stupid shit on there, right? Under their name. I don't know. I'm still hopeful. Also, I didn't really pay that much for any of these things outside of gas fees. So that's basically like the only good thing about my crypto holdings right now is that I basically, if you want to go to a small NESCAC school and you <laughs> want to start an ETH domain name, you're going to have to pay me. <laughs> okay, I've got a question because you're a sports right. insider. You've, you've seen inside the sausage in your Grantland days. Do you think I should try to sell a package, which is the eight NBA, the nine NBA franchises I own their .eth address? So that includes the Nets, the Knicks, but most prominently Mavs.eth. And Cuban is like a DeFi super fan right now. He's by far the most likely owner to see this. Do you think he would buy a bundle that has a bunch of NFTs, maybe give them out as Christmas gifts or something like that? To the other owners? Yeah. Like, could, well, as like an olive branch. No, 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 no. I think that would actually probably violate some sort of, I mean, not explicitly because I don't think that the league's uh, rules have NFT uh, <laughs> <Yet>. <laughs> eat sharing <laughs> rules in it, but it would probably implicitly violate some sort of rule where if he owned the other things, then that would be like some sort of, you know, impingement upon like, uh, you know, like whatever rules that they have to separate their businesses from one another. Okay. So you're saying I should unbundle. Sell them away. I don't think you can bundle, but I do think what you could do is you could sell to Cuban and then you could basically get word to the other owners who basically, you know, they're all just kind of like all rich people, they're competitive and petty. And then you just need to make it seem like Cuban has somehow won out, you know, by by owning his E thing and that they definitely need to do that. And then you can just kind of, you know, negotiate with them when they're in a, this desperate moment. Okay, I like this. It's kind of the inception play where I try to get it in Cuban's mind. What if I give it, like, sell Vivek, kings.eth, sheep, <laughs> and I'm like, you got to... you own that? Yeah. But then I'm, oh. then I'm like, 
you got to brag on it to Cuban at the next owner's meeting. Right. And then I just right. asked for like like 500 ETH from Cuban. I Okay, here, this is what I would do if I were you. Okay. I would I would basically come up with some sort of Ethereum project that these teams can do, right? Like that where they would need Kingstudy, right? Like some tickets. sort of blockchain thing. So for the Kings, it could be like tickets or something like that, right? Yeah. Like, oh, your ticket is on the blockchain and your ticket is also an NFT. Let's say that that's something, right? Yeah. And that they want to build it on kings.eth and you just say, look, you can, maybe we shouldn't give out this idea on, on the podcast. Wait a minute. Are you, I just want to, I just want to pause things here. Are you proposing that I devise an entire blockchain ticketing system simply as a loss leader to trying to sell an NFT of a domain name to Mark Cuban? No, wait, but first of all, the NFT ticket thing is actually kind of a good idea because, like, think about... Cuban already said that the Mavs want to do that. Oh, shit. So this use case is already there, which is why I'm seeing... my. Can you see my eyes? They just have yeah. ETH all over them. They're just the ETH diamonds. <laughs> oh, man. You know what? I should do that with the colleges where I say, you can make your diplomas into an NFT. You know, you, you can give out ticketing at these D three basketball games using NFTs. <laughs> they're very scarce, and people are going to want to swap them in the dorm. The Wesleyan Bowden basketball game <laughs> is an <laughs> NFT ticket. No, but what if I? What if these colleges put their diplomas on the on the blockchain? Right? Doesn't that kind of make sense? Um, anyway, uh, damn. So so Cuban already talked about tickets as NFTs. So. I like how you thought you had that idea on the show, and then I could see you being like, "Oh no, I gave away the alpha." <laughs> <laughs> well, why can't? Well, you're the one that owns these team names. I don't own any of the team names, but like, uh, why don't you email Cuban and just say, "Look, don't you want this thing?" Isn't that all that it would take? How, do you have Cuban's email? I don't have his email. Ledger, Ledger does. does. He's definitely he? not going to respond to me. Ow. Um, you don't. You can just try. You can do the thing that people do when they try and get when they get mad at people who work at the New York Times, where they just put like your name in seven different variations at nytimes.com, and then one of them eventually that's gets <laughs> Caspian <laughs> Kang at nytimes. Cubes at mavs.com. Mark underscore Cuban at <laughs> at mavs.com. It's got to be one of those, right? Okay, I'm gonna put this out there on the show. If anyone can put me in touch with Mark Cuban, and it results in me successfully selling the, this Mavs.eth NFT to Cuban, I will give you 20%. <laughs> okay. It's a challenge for our listeners. Does that extend to me? Uh, I bet I can find his email. Uh, uh, of course it extends to you. Why, uh, okay. no, co-hosts can play the game. Okay, I'm in. I'm in. I'll, I'll try and get you. Uh, I don't know if I can, but I will try. Oh, you, know, you, you have friends in the Mavs organization. You have the inside tracker. This could be like the easiest hundred grand you ever make. What's the lowest price you would sell this thing at? I think I'm looking for like 300 ETH for it. <laughs> <laughs> so $900,000. Yes. <laughs> That's an amazing bargaining tactic in the hopes that Mark Cuban is listening to the show. <laughs> so you can set the floor. <laughs> For for my colleges, I think I would take fifty. I would take fifty from from these places, even though I, you know, I I think that they. I like that you think Bowden is worth one six of the Dallas Mavericks. Bowden has more money than Mark Cuban, though. Yeah, it kind of depends on how you. I'm I'm actually going to say ch challenge on that. 
Really? Because how? Like, think about how much money like Harvard has. These schools have massive endowments. Okay, yeah. Well, Bowdoin and Harvard have a very different amount of money. Are you talking right. about their like their entire like trusts valuation? Well, they're not. They're not, not going to spend their endowment yet. buying an NFT domain name <laughs> from you. I'm going to tell you what Bowdoin's endowment is. Um, okay, it's only 1.8 billion dollars. Okay, so you think that what you think they'll go to fifty ETH for so that they can sell tickets to volleyball games on the blockchain? <laughs> no, you're, it's the diploma idea. <laughs> Wait, Mark Cuban net worth? Hold up, four point four. So yeah. Bowden has one third of the money that Mark Cuban I has. Told, so. I, I knew it. I would have thought it was more more disparity than that, actually. Okay, so then doesn't it make sense that it would be one third of the price? I do think this suggests that maybe we need some sort of like a gambling market where you can be like. <laughs> I'm long Cuban and short Bowden. Can I parlay this? <laughs> we have that. Somebody make an auger market on who's on who between me and Aaron sells their uh, their ENS domain names first and at what price. <laughs> okay, I think we should get the elephant in the room out of the way. Um, we're taping this on Friday. Saturday Night Live is tomorrow night. Elon Musk is on. This will come out after it happens. What do you what do you make of of this whole this whole pump of Doge of Doge? I didn't like actually Doge? say the name there. I don't know. I say Doge. You say Doge? No, I say Doge too. But yeah. and everyone says Doge. But I think the original guy, Marshall, yeah, says Doge. But whatever, it doesn't matter. Well, you you've um, you've made this argument on the show before, and it's one it's like one of like the strange varietals of of your b- beliefs that I'm glad are at least consistent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. I I feel like authorial intent is not that important. Um, I don't know what to make of it. I just think I I'll just put it this way. Yesterday I was on TikTok, Aaron, and I was watching. You know, I I've started spending a lot of time on TikTok, and somehow my algorithm—not somehow, but predictably—my algorithm is basically serving me tons of videos of people opening sports card packs. You know, yeah, like doing rips, I think is what it's called. <laughs> and so there was this one video where it was like showing this guy in this card shop and they're like, this guy is down $700 on rips today and he has $115 left and let's see if he gets it. And so they give him these packs. for So it's just like gambling, you know? Yeah. And I see these little kids who are just like, oh, my God, I, you know, I'm doing a rip. I pay like $85 for this like panini pack of whatever. And I, I hope I get like a Jason Tatum gold card or something like that. It's fucked up in my, you know, so we're basically in this economy where every young person is just gambling and they're completely outside of any idea of value. Now, look, I don't want to sound too much like an old man here, but I do think it's bad for society, right, that everybody is options trading and doing GameStop and doing all this stuff and that there's this implied joke, right? That basically the economy doesn't matter. Let's just all try and get rich quickly. And it does make sense that in a world of GameStop and look, this is not a new thought, but in a world of GameStop, world of AMC pumps, that Dogecoin would be the one that would pump, right? Doesn't that make sense? Isn't this just all kind of trolling in some ways? That's what I make of it at least. I have moved to a different area of the game board where I am no longer adjacent to Dogecoin. And at a certain point, I think during the first run of this show, we would have been all over this story. I don't even really know the price. Like, it's gone so crazy that I've lost the entire thread on the narrative. I don't think I have quite the same judgment you do 
of Gambling USA, which I will note, the person you're describing is is us also. No, we no, We love no, no. this stuff. <laughs> that's how yeah, we that's are. True. That's true. That that's we, true. We can't possibly judge these kids. I'm not judging. I'm not judging the kids at all. I mean, there's a reason why all of the TikToks I see are kids opening packs of cards. You well, know? I hear what you're saying in that we enjoyed... You know the 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 light uh, bammer weed of our youth, and you know today's kids are ripping uh, like uh, uncut dabs straight to the face. And some of this stuff is just like, whoa, this is this is a lot. You know, like I do think there was a certain innocence to the early Bitcoin era, the early Ethereum era, and there's a lot. Some of the romance is gone here in this one. This one is just pure meme psychology. But I'll say this. The reason I'm not participating is not because I judge it or think myself superior. I've got no read on it. Like I have, I wouldn't know strategically how to play this. I'm playing Ethereum right now because I feel like I have a handle on what's going on in Ethereum and I actually believe it. So I can get really good returns and also feel like I have some idea of why the market's doing what it's doing, what the future potential of this thing is. With Dogecoin, it's just like, I don't know, it reminds me of like when people will put together like a weird super team of athletes and it's like, it might work or go terribly. No one knows. You know, it just feels like as close to random as possible. So I would have no way to play this market. If I did, I I would, because I think you could make a lot of money in it if you kind of, developed a theory of how people are trading doge do you think they're trading it or do you think they're just like haha this is funny let's load up you know no, i think people are are buying and i mean i think at least the smart people are buying into pumps and, and dumping right 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 i'm stuff. just talking about the majority you're a sort of average person right oh um, like I, I have a friend who like has four shares of gamestop you know and he's never going to sell them and he just likes to watch the price go up and down, and he thinks it's funny. And he's hoping that it goes to like $500 or something, and then he said he'll sell it then. I think most Doge investors right now are kind of like that, right? Where they just want to kind of be on, on the meme. Like you sent us like a tweet of Kyle Kuzma, like kind of gloating over his Doge returns. I think they just want to be in on that, you know? I don't think they're looking to like buy and sell it and learn technical analysis of charts and stuff like that and try and game it. I just think they're trying to buy it so they don't miss out on it. I, In the uh, same way they do with GameStop. I have a hot take on the Kuzma thing. Kyle Kuzma is Dogecoin in human form. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel sort of the same way about him where I'm like, well, he's actually doing much better than he was. Like, he's better than I thought he was. But I still wouldn't pay him or pick him for a team. I still think in the long term, it's probably like going to tank. That's how I feel oh, about definitely tank. It's just to how much, you know, I'm talking about Kuzma. No, I oh, <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, we'll see in the playoffs. I don't know if the Lakers are going to really. We don't have to talk about this, but yeah, he is sort of a human meme. I agree. He's the perfect person to be irresponsibly gambling on uh, Dogecoin on Robinhood. In fact, Robinhood should be calling Kuzma right now. <laughs> filming a ad. commercial 
where Kuzma is trading Doge like during a timeout in the huddle. Because <laughs> do you have, that, <laughs> do you have any Dogecoin? I like I don't. I went through uh, as you know during our heyday, which was like what four. I guess it's not your heyday, but the heyday where we were both trading all the time. We had like fourteen different accounts or something like that on different exchanges. And I was certain that I had some Dogecoin on one of those. And at the time, I don't know, I, you know, I could have bought like 40,000 Dogecoins for what, like 80 bucks or something like that. So I went looking and I don't have any. I was like crushed. I like had to bypass 2FA for a lot of them and reset it and all this sort of stuff. And then, and then they were all empty. Um, it, was a, it was a fruitless hunt. I was so convinced that I had some somewhere though. I actually have never held true dosh true uncut dosh i held some rendosh which is the like defi you know it's like wbtc is is the defi bitcoin and they've got right. rendosh which is like ren's version of dosh i i made good i think i made about a 60% profit got out i just believe in ether so much right now it would crush me to lose money in something else that could be ether that i hold for the long term because right. any ether that I have now, I know I can have that much ether and pretty significant yield on it. So I would just rather have 120, 140, 150% compounding of how much Ethereum I have right now than like fuck around. I guess I grew up. Jay, I grew up. I grew yeah. up and became an F maxi. What what can you do about it? I, I'm surprised because... Uh, <laughs> Are you concerned at all about this? I'm not. Look, you've done very well in this, and I'm not saying this in any sort of uh, annoying way. But are you? It seems like the sort of idea that people are putting out there right now that, like, all right, this is finally the flippening, right? Like, this is finally when, like, remember, like, what was that thing called that? It was like Atlantis or something like that. Do you remember like the Ethereum update that was going to happen like six years ago? And people were like that's going to be the point. And then Jay, Jay. Been, I feel like there's been six of those. Okay, it's the one that matters is really coming. It's coming July fourteenth. It's EIP fifteen fifty nine. And what's going to happen in Ethereum when this takes place is instead of all these fees going to miners, we're going to start burning the ether and. Ethereum's going to go deflationary. Um, it's going to be like Bitcoin, but it's going to be even past Bitcoin because it's no longer going to be capped. It's going to be a smaller and smaller number capped as Ethereum, more Ethereum gets burned than, than is mined. And so I just feel like right now, looking at these Ether valuations, this isn't priced in because pe most people who aren't like insane Ethereum people don't know about this. And... Mm. I think you kind of have to have been OGs oh, like we have being wrong for many, many years to know that <laughs> one of the things that makes me kind of like, oh, Doge is kind of bullshit is they're just making more and more Doge. I don't know. There's like 14.4 million Doge every year or something. It's not the same as Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a fixed supply. That's what makes it valuable. The fact that its rules are held makes it valuable. A criticism of Ethereum was that it had an, a limitless supply and that a lot of these things like proof of stake weren't going to happen. And I think from where I'm standing, this looks like a championship team, maybe not this year, but like next season. Like we are, we are on the doorstep of, of the actual really, really big swings now. And okay. if the flipping was going to happen, 
I think that would be the catalyst. If it, if EIP 5059 happens and there's no, no movement and uh, F loses against Bitcoin, I will have been wrong. But right now, we're not even at a historical high uh, of Ethereum against Bitcoin. We're sitting at about, what, point, 0.06 or something? You know, since we've been doing the show, we've seen 0.1. And in my opinion, Ethereum has gained as a narrative and maybe Bitcoin is slowing down a little as a narrative. Would you care to discuss? Uh, yeah, well, I don't, you know, from what I, I, I still do follow this stuff quite a bit, although not as closely as you do. And I will say that this does seem like the first time where the people that are the most ardent, and then also the people who sort of cover this from a more, I don't even know if objective is the right place, but let's say they're trying to be objective, that they don't talk about Bitcoin as much anymore, right? They do talk almost entirely about Ethereum and Ethereum-based products. And it seems like, whereas four years ago, the most sort of fantastical idea that anyone had about Ethereum was a Ethereum land or whatever it was called, Decentraland. Was, is that what yeah, it was de- called? Decentraland, yeah. And, it's, and that's pumped massively this year. Mana. Yeah, I know. I said they have a token, right, on Coinbase or something. Yeah, like uh, Mana is the token. But also right. the land has pumped massively this year. Now there are actual real ideas that are coming out. And I think that has people excited. And I think that's been paired with this sort of capitulation amongst a lot of the skeptics like okay this thing is around to stay so let's talk about it in a way that's not just like these are just nerds who are destroying the environment which you know it's kind of true but still, <laughs> but still you know you have to say something other than that so yeah i don't know personally the small amount of investment i've done in crypto over the last year and a half has all been on on the ethereum side and so i hope you're right well, the part that makes me think I'm right, and this is probably a sell signal if, you, if you're just fading us in general, which has been profitable, but there's stuff you can do in Ethereum. And it's a lot more interesting to cover people doing things than cover like a, a stable protocol that's been stable for a really long time. And we've right. seen the benefits of the stability of the Bitcoin uh, protocol. But the part I didn't really see coming was the idea that Ethereum was going to become this world bank, world market that could in some at some point just contain Bitcoin. Like Bitcoin can exist within the world of decentralized finance on the Ethereum network. The reverse is not true. So looking at these two things at their like crudest, crudest narrative level, there's the digital gold idea with Bitcoin, and then there's this programmable money idea that's increasingly looking like we can take a lot of the things Wall Street does in terms of borrowing money, lending money, earning interest, um, leverage positioning, options, whatever you whatever you do as a, as a finance industry company and do them in this decentralized manner where not only does it all run on the Ethereum network, but the businesses that are built on top of it, the Uniswaps, um, the compounds maker Avi are owned by protocol holders who hold their tokens who are in some ways also holding part of the Ethereum network. So it feels to me that like Bitcoin successfully swallowed whatever, you know, 10% of the gold market, the market Ethereum is trying to swallow is a lot bigger. It's a bigger fish. So the flipping bull case for me is that if it can even pull off a few percent of the industries that it's attacking, 
that's a lot of money. Yeah, no, I agree. And it doesn't really need to even do much more than the financial stuff that you're talking about to be part of a huge, huge, huge world economy um, that is growing and in flux. And obviously people will be looking for alternatives throughout, you know, especially, I don't know. I feel like a lot of what we talk about is sort of grim world prognosis. Yeah. Right. And I don't know, it seems pretty bad right now. And I can't imagine that other places aren't thinking about the way in which they interact with the world economy right now and being like, what the fuck are we doing? You know? And so, um, I don't know. I don't think anyone is satisfied with that sort of stuff. And if some sort of alternative exists, especially one that can make you rich, you know, like I don't quite see why that wouldn't be appealing to people. And obviously has been. I mean, the price of Ethereum right now is unimaginable. Like I remember when like at the very beginning when we were like getting into this, I would like text you and be like, I just sold like seventy five Ethereum and it would be like you know, like the number it would be like a small buy and sell and I would be doing it to try and get like a two percent, you know, uh bump on stuff. And now I think about it, it's like, oh my fucking God. You know? <laughs> I wish I had just put that in a in like a nano and just like left it alone, you know. It's uh the price right now is like mind boggling to me. Yeah, I mean, this price is getting mind-boggling and it's getting to the point where the next like the next wave of people who come to Ethereum will push towards a flipping event unless Bitcoin also goes crazy, which I could see happening. Like I feel like the bull case for crypto as a whole is doing very well. Like crypto is doing a very good job of eating the world. Like we we complained a ton. We made fun of Ethereum. We were like, none of this shit works. You can't do anything with it. And then we went away for a couple of years and people figured all that out. And now there's pretty interesting stuff. Like I think Web3 logins where you log in with your MetaMask wallet, moving away from identity on the internet. These are pretty big ideas. Like I'm pretty into them, you know? Right, right. Being yeah. able to form yeah. a business in the form of a decentralized autonomous organization with people in other countries and other jurisdictions and just be like, hey, we're just doing it. Uh, the the money gets paid in Ethereum and it just splits to all of our wallets. These are like simple things, but like, I mean, look, we had to set up an LLC for this show. Like doing business is insanely expensive and stupid and inefficient. And right. I just believe a lot of this stuff is totally wide open to get napstered by a bunch of like 21-year-old nerds. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I was one of them. There's this coin, uh, Rary Capital, that's like a DeFi project, and people always make jokes. Like, it's like three 19 year olds. They're like, they may be 21. Like, maybe they turned 21 as it was launching. Rary Capital? Yeah. A Rary oh, yeah. Finance. Rary Finance. RGT. RGT. <laughs> Tul- Ledger has a little bit in uh, his fun tulip. Oh, okay. So I'm exposed to it then because I have some tulips. Okay. Let's let's just uh let's just put it on the table. So Jay, you're back in the game. You're back in the I'm Ethereum. back in the game. You're back in the Ethereum game. Yeah. Are you a long term hodling at this point or are you I want to jump off the ship at a certain point? No, no, I'm not jumping off. I mean I'm I think I learned my lesson from last time. Hopefully. I mean we'll see, but yeah, I'm basically just doing the most conservative thing that you can do, which is just saying, all right, I want exposure across a few different things that I believe in, and I'm going to very slowly 
regardless of price, just do recurring buys on stuff, you know? Yeah, that's about it. Mostly in Ethereum. It's been about six months now or eight months, I would say, that I've been doing this. And obviously it's been great, but I don't know. I just don't see like the scenario where I would sell it, right? Like, because I believe in it long term. And the amount that I have is not so significant where selling it would even really change much for me, you know? But I'm just hoping that at some point in three or four years that, you know, it can be like a significant source of, of income. And I don't know. It's, it's like you said, it's just if this thing is going to go the way that you and I think it's going to go, then I don't really see the value in trying to like, you know, and this is mostly based on my own assessment of my skills, right? Uh, go out and try and like find the 50x coin, right? Like I think it's better for me just to basically buy the big thing and just wait. I don't know. I wish we had done that the whole time. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting sucked back into, I got sucked back into the shit coins. I mean, I I got sucked back into the cryptopia mindset. I, you know what did it to me? You know who does it to you? It's the, it's the portfolio apps where they have the one tab that's your portfolio. And then there's the tab with the biggest gainers. That biggest gainers tab is bad news. You start seeing like, they do that on, on Robin hood too. With stock. You start seeing these little like micro cap companies popping. And when I see one that's popping and it's got like the right logo and it's in the right kind of realm. <laughs> I'm, I just, glad to, I'm glad to hear you haven't learned anything. Oh, nothing. <laughs> and I caught a few of them early. I had my first, uh, f- I think I had a 15X this nice. season. And then I just chased 15 more that were like ones I should not have chased, <laughs> you know? And the gas gets you on those because I'm buying them in small amounts, you know? They're very hard to time. They like, they'll pop for like a week and they'll be at like 4X. And then, like, in a day, you lose half on that. And you've got the right strategy. I've, simply not been applying discipline. But one of the things that's making me more disciplined is that I've been getting into yield farming. At first, the results were kind of paltry. You know, you're seeing your amount go up, but there's something powerful about the idea of getting your money and more money. Like almost all the altcoin trading I've done has been like, oh, I'm going to like gain or lose against Bitcoin. And I think I gained Ethereum early in DeFi and then mostly have lost Ethereum value. So I'm just like, I just can't lose any more value in my life. It's too (laughs) painful now that we've seen these prices. Like, can you imagine some of our poor 2017 trading if we had just played it safe, Jay? I know, I know. Well, I don't like thinking about it, but my life, it would have changed. Like, it would have been a life-changing decision. 100%. I just don't want to think about it. But what the other thing I've learned from it is like there are things going on in crypto right now that I think you can make money on. People made a lot of money on Binance Smart Chain and Pancake Swap. People are making a lot of money in Solana. You know, these things are going way up. I Solana Solana is like Sam um, Blankman Fried, the the FTX guy, you know, who Uh did the Heat uh, Arena. It's his, it's like kind of his exchange's blockchain of choice. It's like another like zero fee, almost like extremely fast Ethereum kind of environment with its own thing going on. I mean, I would actually give it a lot better chances than like 
CZ's like scammy decentral like Binance chain, but they're all still operating in that like F killer zone. And, right. you know, I remember Cardano. I actually still have some Cardano, but I'm embarrassed about it. And I'm never going to chase that kind of stuff again. You know, like I, I just need to stay in my field of expertise. I don't know what's going on in Solana land. It's like when you're a tourist, you don't like run up on people and just start making big moves in some other country, you know, like yeah. I need to know my role. My role is in Ethereum now. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I don't even know. I don't know. I'm trying to I try and wall myself off. Basically, the I see it on Twitter and. I always feel that pinch of like, well, what if this is the thing? And then I just think, no, I was always wrong. So why would I be right this time? But yeah, I'm with you. It's, uh, I don't know. Let's just, let, let, let's do it so that when we do our episode in three years, that we just say, thank God that we grew up and became like uh, adults, you know? Because that's what it sounds like. It sounds like we've like transitioned into adulthood and we're just like, all I want is a mutual fund, you know, and I want to put some money in a college fund for my kid, you know, but it's all ETH. I don't think there's any way, I don't think there's any way I can argue that I've grown up when my, the big new thing I'm into is yield farming <laughs> and I'm spending multiple hours a week seeking out better yield across pools. And I will tell you my best yield uh, so far, okay, let me know. which is. So I got into this token that's um, it's from the same people who make the um, DeFi index, DPI, but they make this token FLI, the Flexible Leveraged Index. And it's basically just 2x leveraged Ethereum, but it protects itself a bit from the downside and rebalances. So it averages to a, about 1.7x Ethereum, 1.7x long. So when you provide liquidity on Uniswap, you have to do it in a pair, which usually means you need Ethereum and something else, which is kind of annoying because it keeps rebalancing. So you're getting more or less of whatever the other thing is and kind of blunts your upside and your downside. But in this case, I've been farming F and F2X in the pool together, which means I'm getting a combined basically like 1.3X exposure to Ethereum, but during the bull run, the APY has been as high as 75 or 80% oh, wow. in the pool. And even right now where it's way down, it's sitting at, here, I'll look at it right now. It goes up and down, but it, I haven't seen it below 20. Well, how, how do you get this? You do, you, do, you, do you have to Uniswap it on MetaMask or something? Well, so the cool thing is you, you can do it directly on Uniswap. You need to deposit into the pool, and you need an equal amount of each. So it's only paying 20% right now. Okay. But 20% is pretty good. You're getting a 1.3x uh, leverage uh, exposure to Ethereum and getting paid a 20% yearly premium to do so. Mm -hmm. um, so if you go to Rainbow Wallet, which is a really cool wallet uh, that I recommend over MetaMask, but you can just take your MetaMask account and take the seed phrase and move it over to Rainbow. You can actually deposit in and out of the pool directly in Rainbow Wallet. And you can see, this is the killer feature, you can see yourself earning fees in real time. Oh, wow. So I just like to wake up in the morning and be like, wow, I made 100 bucks overnight in fees in this pool. And, okay, Rainbow... I'm just looking at it so I can do it right now. <laughs> <laughs> but you need to swap for that for the something else in the oh, pair. You yeah. can't just put 
Ethereum into into the pool, you need to put two things that are a pair because it's basically it's an um, AMM, a automated okay, market I'm maker. Out. I'm out. It's too it's too complicated for me at this point. <laughs> it's 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 simulating like an order book, right? In yep. a normal exchange, except there's no order book in DeFi. It's using a form of arbitrage between the two things in the pool to try to derive the price and provide liquidity in it. It's Got a it. cool idea. Like some new coin comes out where there's no liquidity to trade it, but people are incentivized to put that liquidity onto Uniswap because they can earn these fees. When, when there's no one in a pool, you're just making all the fees. Can I ask you a question? What do you think about this like uh, interest stuff that people are doing, like Gemini is doing? Well, it's great for me because Gemini and Coinbase are offering the like vanilla, safe, low yield version, right. which I think is like six percent, maybe six to eight percent. It depends on the coin, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's like somewhere between five like, and eight percent. Yeah, I think for Ethereum, it's maybe six percent right. right now. So, you know, people have asked me if I should do that, and I'm like, if you're just leaving your money on Coinbase, hell yeah! If you're gonna leave it there for a year and you can get six percent, why would you not do that? But yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, it creates competition. Yeah, and it's it's uh it's annoying how some of these places do that, and some of these places that are kind of like big retail regular money things, like Robinhood or whatever. Like you can't even transfer your coins off of them, so you can't go and dump them into Gemini and then try and get that type of yield off of it. But fuck Robinhood. I imagine that everyone's going to start doing this, don't you think? Like, don't you think well, like, that, PayPal and Robinhood will start doing this as well? That's why I think this puts pressure on everyone, right? Banks that are giving you like less than 1% are probably going to feel pressure from Gemini and Coinbase because you can't, you don't need a volatile asset to do this. Some of the highest yield is paid on stable coins. Right. Because right. crypto GGENs don't want to hold stable coins. Everyone wants to gamble like Forex leveraged on F, and someone's got to borrow all the funds to go leverage. So there's huge yields payable on stable coins. At a certain point, people who have money in banks are going to go, wait a minute, I could earn 20, 40% yield while staying denominated in dollars. Yeah, it's a little riskier than a bank, but that's a lot of money. If you have a lot of, well, money. I, have you read liars poker? I imagine you have, I have. Wow. Yeah. So like in liars poker, I was always struck by how much money people rich super rich people were willing to do to get like tiny gains that would make basically make it so it wasn't annoying for them right like that seemed to be the entire bond market at the time yes and like i don't know it seems like this is you know a stable coin that could yield that and you know it's it's safer than like my plan which was always to put all my money in a mongolian bank do you remember do you remember that scam <laughs> that I, I don't know the specifics of that scam but if you fake your death and disappear, I'm going to start in Mongolia now. Uh, uh, um, yeah, I mean, what I'm saying about this being a gateway drug is if you're earning 6% on Coinbase and your guy who's a little bit more of a crypto pro than you says like, you know, you can earn more than that if you just transfer it from Coinbase to this DeFi application and provide liquidity. A certain number of people are going to do what you just did, where your eyes glazed over as I started to describe how to do it. But a certain people, a certain number of people, particularly people who have like a significant amount of money in it, are going to go like, "Man, I got to live off of that yield," you right? Know? Or they'll hire someone to do it for them. Exactly, right. and that's what a lot of DeFi is. It's like Lego building blocks that automate DeFi strategies that earn yield. So one of the craziest ones is so F two people are already staking into F two. And when you stake into F2, I think you get paid 
8% annually until F2 comes out and then your funds unlock. Right. And there's this company called Lido or Lido Finance where you can stake your F for F2 through them and they give you back a STF token. But here's the crazy part. You can take that STF token and put it into something like Compound as collateral and then withdraw against it, withdraw any DeFi coin or Ethereum you want, and you're basically earning 8% on your money while still having the money during that whole time and being able to invest and earn yield on it. So you can earn double, triple, quadruple yield. You can stack these yields on top of each other. Wow, that's amazing, huh? What's the what's the downside risk though that basically the whole market collapses and price goes down and then there's a run on the banks and well if what you go do with the money once you put it into compound and and withdraw it is risky and you lose it then you could still lose all your capital right like if yeah. you lose your money on any of what you do at any step in the way you still can get like liquidated but. I think the only serious risk beyond the risks of things like leverage trading, I'm not interested in leverage trading particularly. I mean, I just shelled it on this show, but that was mostly because I wanted to get in that pool. I'm I'm more interested in earning yield and I'm basically willing to risk my coins and lend them out to other people who want to do leverage trading. There's always systemic risk within DeFi. You have like things like DAI being made by Maker that are backed by other crypto assets. I suppose there's always a chance of like a rolling liquidation where just like half of the money gets like wiped out of DeFi because it's all like leverage on top of leverage, yield on top of yield. But I feel like the bigger it gets, the less likely that happens. I think that was the most likely to happen when the system was the smallest. And I think as these systems get bigger and bigger, there may be like localized failures but I think the whole system is unlikely to go down. And that's why I sort of am bullish on the big guys like Compound and Maker and Avi, A-A-V-E, uh, because they are the ones that I don't see going down in a catastrophe. Got it. Yeah, I'm I'm into some of that stuff too, actually. And uh, I don't know. I I do think, look, I, I, like the entire U.S. economy tanked in 2008, right? And it's yes. based off what you're describing, essentially, that type of structure. And so it's not like it's impossible. And yet I do think that there is, like, obviously crypto is going to go through a few of those. But, you know, the lesson of that is basically if you just hold on to it, then, you know, things things sort of stabilize and normalize. And I don't really see why that wouldn't be true, given how big the crypto market is right now. Now, something like Dogecoin, I don't know. I think a lot of people are probably going to lose a lot of money on that. But at the same time, I don't know, like, you know, like what's the, I saw like the market cap right now is like 80, is like bigger than like BMW or something like it's bigger than like Ford or something like that. Can I make a, um, say something weirdly positive about Doge? This is a very hot take, Jay, get ready. Yeah. But okay. I'm looking at the coin gecko top 10 coins and I'm going to say that it's quite possible that Dogecoin is the third most respectable of them. <laughs> so we've got Bitcoin and Ethereum up top, and you people know my feelings on those. I'm less excited by Bitcoin than I once was, but I still think Bitcoin is a fantastic investment, and I think it's going to go to $100,000 and beyond, and I think it's uh, it changed the world, and it's great. Okay, number three, Binance Coin. Is Dogecoin more or less legitimate than Binance Coin? 
To uh, me, less. To me, uh, Binance coin is less legitimate. What do you mean by legitimate, though? Because, like, Dogecoin I is mean, just a joke, right? Like, there's no... Yeah, but, like, what is Binance coin? It's, like, CZ offering, like, weird, like, coupon points to people to trade on Binance pumping it and printing it and it's a centralized thing i guess what i'm saying is if you remove the doge as a joke point i find a lot that a lot of these top 10 currencies are some form of like weird manipulation or historical anomaly right so you got binance coin there then five is ripple which i believe is still under like federal uh investigation what's the price at now I mean, Ripple, it's back to 159. It went down to like 20 cents and it bounced back. All of this shit in the top 10 is just people gambling on weird historical tracks. Wait, a dollar 59? Yeah. So, I mean, you're saying, oh, Dogecoin has a market cap of 82 million. Yes. Ripple has a market cap of 73 billion. And. As far as I know, the, the Ripple guys could still like go to jail or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not saying that Ripple is more. I'm just saying that you can't eliminate the joke part of Dogecoin. Would you trust? Would you trust Dogecoin or Ripple more? If I asked you, I said you got to hold one of the two for the next five years. Which one do you hold? At uh, Ripple. <laughs> it's not not even close. I take Do- <laughs> see. I think I would take Doge. They're not changing the protocol at all. No one's going to do anything. It's probably still going to be cooking, whereas a lot well, of these I'd rather other do, I'd rather not do either, you know. But I don't know. It seems like maybe there's some world in which you know XRP does become some countries start to use it. I have no idea. But like Dogecoin doesn't even have that possibility, right? Why not? What would they use it for? Uh, whatever they use Bitcoin for. <laughs> so you think I, Doge could be a like a store of value? I'm gonna say that Dogecoin is no more a joke than Litecoin ever was. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. Okay, number yeah. six is Tether. I would say Doge is more legitimate. Tether just recently showed that it had all the money it was supposed to. Mm-hmm. Number seven is Cardano. I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna open that can of word other than to say there's an amazing, amazing video of the founder of of Cardano, Charles Hoskins, where there's been a shooting at his local grocery store, and he somehow basically goes from that and pivots seamlessly into shilling Cardano. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm going to find that. <laughs> uh, eight is Polkadot, our old friend, Dr. Gavin Wood. I think That's maybe the, the eighth most traded coin right now? I mean, Polkadot is the most successful F killer. It's probably right. the most legitimate F killer. It's right. got 40 billion market cap. But again, we're, are you like shocked that Polkadot has half the market cap of Doge? All this stuff is kind of like, who cares? Oh my God. I can't believe that what we, I mean, we did that when it was a white paper. We did a show on that. Yeah. And I kind of knew at the time, but did not financially take advantage of the fact that like all these guys who worked on Ethereum who started their own Ethereum-style products, all succeeded for exactly that reason. Cardano has not had to deliver anything. I mean, that's not an Ethereum guy, but Polkadot, you know, it's another smart contract system. Like, people are, you can clone a lot of this stuff. There's massive cloning across DeFi, where anything that exists in Ethereum also is going to exist in BSC. Something similar is going to exist in Polkadot and Solana. And so a lot of these coins are going to make a lot of money trailing off Ethereum. I would still rather have Ethereum, though, if all the stuff's being, you know, it's kind of like being the Apple store 
or like a weird knockoff store that people then eventually build similar apps for. Like, I, yeah. I, I just think the innovation is there. Number nine is Bitcoin Cash, BCH. Come, oh, yeah. I mean, that's come only on. nine now. That's bad I mean, for them. Yeah, I right? mean, they're down from their historical high, but they're still $25 billion in Bitcoin Cash. I would challenge most of the people who are getting into Bitcoin now who are into Bitcoin or Dogecoin to tell me what Bitcoin Cash is. I don't think people who weren't around when we were around are even aware of the history of what it is. And they probably big blocks. Yeah. (laughs) I've tried to talk about to some like guys who are way more in crypto than I am about like the big blockers movement. And they were just like, what blue blockers? What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And number 10, and it's the perfect number 10 for this uh, metaphor is Litecoin, which we talked extensively in the first round of the show. Oh, Litecoin is Bitcoin's test net. If Bitcoin's worth a lot of money and Litecoin does the same thing, like how can it not be worth some money? It's the same case for Doge. Like if enough people have it and are using it and it has that network effect and it works basically like sort of like Bitcoin, it doesn't surprise me that much to see it in the top 10. The weird thing to me is how sketchy the top 10 is. The top 10 is sketchier than the like 10 through 30. It's almost like trash either like completely catches on fire and disappears or it's eventually going to like get all the way up there. Actually, now that I look at it, there's a lot of pretty sketchy stuff in 10 through 30. Well, the top 10, it's sketchier than the top 10 was like when we were doing the show like four years ago. Well, if you're wondering where all the people who dropped out of the top 10 are. Number 19, Tron. That definitely was uh, top tanning at one point. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Number, that was like four for a while. Number 22, yeah. Ethereum killer EOS didn't deliver. And like, you're surprised that there's $80 billion in Doge. What if I told you there's one tenth of that $8 billion in NEO? What the hell has NEO been oh, doing? Oh, God, I remember that. All of the trash from our era is still has a huge amount of money in it. What was that Canadian E thing that we bought like 500 times? Canadian E? What? (laughs) ETH is Canadian. Isn't Vitalik Canadian? (laughs) I don't remember what the name is. I was trying to remember it the other day because I was like, I I remember when I put like a non-insignificant amount of money into Canadian E. For all the stuff that I've gotten into in DeFi, DeFi that I think will change the world, Really, the only things that are like above the surface where you can see them if you like look on the front page of like crypto, which is I'm sure a lot of people do. It's like Chainlink at number 11. Then you got like Solana at 17. Pancake Swap at 31. Uniswap is, is the high, other highest one at, at 12. But I guess what I'm saying about like DeFi is like we had this whole generation of altcoins that were built in Bitcoin's model. And now we have these DeFi coins that are Legos within Ethereum. And there just looks like they're ceiling above them. Like, I'm sorry, if the number seven and eight currencies are Cardano and Polkadot, those spots are up for grab, in my opinion. There is yeah, like, yeah. there is no reason that, that Ripple needs to be the fifth largest cryptocurrency while its founders like um, attempt to like avoid charges. You know, <laughs> um, all right. Is there anything else we should talk about? I uh, I called this session because I have another crypto podcast coming out uh, uh, yeah. this uh, this week. It comes out Monday, which hopefully the show should come out Monday. Uh, it's called Exit Scam. It's about a case we talked about on the show. 
for our Scam Hall of Fame. It's about Quadriga and Gerald Cotton. Jay, how long did you follow this story uh, after it first appeared on Cointalk? Oh, not very much. I mean, I would check every once in a while to see if they had figured out what had happened or if he had shown up alive anywhere. But I haven't thought about it in months. Well, it's insane. I hope you like it. And the good news for us is that this activity has not stopped. So for people who need a recap, this guy, Gerald Cotton, founder of the biggest Bitcoin exchange in Canada, goes to India, dies suddenly on his honeymoon. Over $200 million of his customers' money gets frozen because he hasn't told anyone his passwords. A lot of people don't think he's actually dead. Surprise, this is crypto. Yes. The funny thing I, I need to like tell people about this show is I'm like, no, people think he faked his death. A common everyday occurrence in small cap crypto. Like this wouldn't even be the first time something like this has happened amongst these people. And last week, that uh, Turkish guy from Thodex or Theodex uh, disappeared with over $2 billion from his exchange. And people think he's in Thailand. Well, that's different than putting out like a fake Indian death certificate and stuff, which was like the stuff about Gerald Cotton, right? Sure. Uh, no, I, I just mean the temptation when you have a fortune under your control, which is basically the case that anyone running an exchange is in. It's a very lightly regulated industry. It's a very, very easy place to try to take off with a bunch of money. And and this wait, is, so he was he took everybody's coins off of his exchange, and they think he's in Thailand. Yeah. Oh, good lord! I mean, I think he took a lot of like fiat with him too. I mean, as did Gerald Cotton. You know, Gerald Cotton. Right. Um, a lot of these losses were people who had sold their Bitcoin and were waiting to cash out of the exchange. Like these exchanges have a ton of theoretical money on them at any time. And until they're bottoming out in a exit scam, Ponzi scam kind of situation, you're never really going to know how much is really on the exchange. Someone can take off and leave a small amount of money and it might take months before people realize how much has been taken off. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I look forward to you listening to this show. Maybe we could get on again and talk about it at some point. If you're game. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I don't want you to give anything away, but I, I'm excited just because I was always fascinated by this dude and, you know, the sort of weird stuff that happened. And that, remember we watched this YouTube video once about how it's so easy to fake your death in India. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that slightly concerned me in the show is I, I, I don't ever mean to imply that, like, uh, everyone in India is like a death faker or whatever. It's right, a very, right, very right. small number of people, but they're completely real and the prices are not out of reach on this stuff. Especially if you robbed a crypto exchange. Yeah, I mean, this is like, uh, this stuff's available in the range of like $1,000 there. And like okay. Westerners faking their death is not like some extreme activity. It's just a business that happens year in and out. It's mostly to scam uh, insurance and get out of debts, but the same apparatus could be used by anyone, particularly someone like Gerald Cotton, who had a pretty deep knowledge of the dark net. And, um, you know, this stuff's different passports. These things are all, all available, especially if you have a lot of Monero, which, <laughs> which has been pumped. Is that going, that going's out of the top 10 now, huh? I don't think Monero ever cracked the top 10, but it's a, it's a healthy, uh, 
Where where is it? It's a healthy twenty five with eight point four billion dollars. Monero is like uh, it never moves that much because no, no exchanges will um, like no super oh, normal right. exchanges right. can sell yeah. it. So I always get in this weird thing like that guy in Norway um, probably killed his wife, one of the richest men, but he like faked that she'd been kidnapped and asked for $10 million in Monero. And it's just one of those things where it's like, I don't really know how you get $10 million in Monero. Like you can't get it on like Coinbase. What are you going to like? the dark web. Probably you can get it. Right. But how is some like guy who's not into crypto going to figure out how to get, like I would have trouble getting $10 million in Monero. Yeah, me too, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> I would be more concerned if we knew how to get $10 million in Monero. Um, okay, well, well, I'm looking forward to that. I have something to uh, congratulate you to. I understand that you finished a book. Yeah, yeah, it'll be out in October. And yeah, I'm just, I wrote up the acknowledgments today. So that's how far along I am. That's like the last thing you generally do. So yeah, and I'm doing you know, me and somebody are doing uh, the end notes right now, so which is just sort of the bibliography. So yeah, we're done. I can't believe it. Are you are you worried that now that you have free time, you're going to start like um, gambling on the like Chinese third league soccer or something? Uh, that's already happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is so. what is your sport of choice right now as a gambler? Oh man, I don't know baseball i've started doing this thing on saturday mornings where every sport that's playing i'll be, i'll do a parlay with one one thing from each sport Very nice. <laughs> so it'll be like a 16 parlay and it always ends at night with like a boxing match you know and my whole goal is just to be live for the boxing match and it still hasn't happened did, I, you, usually by 10 a.m pacific I'm, it, it's the parlay's dead did you see the Floyd Mayweather uh, Paul Brothers clip yesterday? Oh my yesterday? god, yeah, that thing was so fake, but they did a pretty good job. That's why having it be fake. That's what I was like. Wow, this is one of the realest looking fake beatdowns I've ever seen. Right, right, right. Yeah. They did a good job with it. You can kind of also see where all the like bodyguards kind of collapse over him, and you can't really see what's happening. Right. If that right, was yeah. real, uh, he would just be like uh, paralyzed at this point. Um, yeah. Yeah. And if like Floyd was actually that bad, then it would have been like much uglier than it was, you know, because it's not like they're like people are just like, chill, stop. You know? <laughs> <laughs> don't beat him up. You're you're not you're not really like this, man. I know. You don't I know. Be doing it was a great this. work, though, for two despicable human beings. <laughs> <laughs> did you? The, um, the, it did get me. It, it did. I mean, it just totally worked. Of course, I was just like, all right, I guess I have to watch this stupid thing now, which I probably was always going to do anyway. But um, I 100% am not going to pay for it. That's the only that's the only pledge I had. The sports story that has happened since our hibernation that I most missed you during and wanted your take on was when they tried to do that soccer super league. Oh God! Yeah, that story the was NFT incredible. Of soccer leagues. Yeah, that story was just like incredible. That was like a crypto level of hubris. The the whole thing. It really was. It really was. It was like, or it was like basically. Remember when uh, Libra Coin? It was basically those teams trying to make their own Libra. Coin. Yeah, it's actually kind of a good analogy. It was also like they were like people were like, absolutely not. You won't be able to play in the World Cup, and they're like, whoa, whoa, okay, it's over. We uh, we weren't gonna do it. like. I have never seen a faster fold in a high stakes yeah, situation. Yeah. Yeah. Especially given the power of these places, you know? And like, they're just like, oh, yeah. And then, uh, wait, you're mad about this, you know? And they're like, yeah, yes. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, 
Huh, we didn't think that it would be. You would be mad by, you know, taking all the money out of every single league in the world and <laughs> making a super league. Like, of course people got mad about it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel two ways about it. The first is obviously I think it was horrible and I think that it just showed such arrogance and it would have destroyed, like, all the soccer economy except for those things. And yet, you know, if Manchester United played Real Madrid three times a year in the Super League, would that be better for me as a viewer? I don't know, probably, right? Because I don't really follow soccer that much. And that was their bet, was that, like, casual soccer fans in the world would like this more. But, you know, I don't know. I don't think it's worth the thing that they were doing. Since I dropped tons of bad takes on this show, I'm just going to drop a take that'll get me flamed. Why why is relegation so sacred? Why do we have what why are we defend like we don't relegate in anything in America. Everything it works fine. It would be cool if they relegated in the NBA, I think, but um I totally understand why they don't. But I don't know. I think it's like the sort of veneer and the illusion of democracy in yeah. a way, right, for these places and meritocracy, like anyone can do it and you know, you just got to find a young player and invest in him and if you have that young superstar, then you surround him with other people, and then you can, you know, like, uh, have you seen that movie, um, The Damn United? No. Oh, you should watch it. It's great. Watch that, and you'll understand relegation. I mean, it's uh, about like Derby County. Or, um, if I can make a counterpoint, I watch a lot of Champions League. It's basically the same five Premier League teams. All right. The it's time. the same thing as fucking Champions League. That's what I didn't understand. I was like, how's this different than Champions League? You already have Champions League. And then you have these overfunded teams like Paris Saint de Gaulle, like uh, Bayern, that are basically right. beating the shit out of the teams in their own league. And the only real competition they face is in the Champions League. It just seems to me like. I get the I, I'm people people obviously this take is not one that people like but I'm just like I don't know I can understand an idea that you want a permanent standing league that has like the 16 best soccer teams in the world why are the why why are you uh playing uh Lyon Paris Saint-Denis you have um Neymar and Mbappe on your team it's not fair for you within the French league Yeah yeah or Spain playing you know like I don't know like Malaga or something like that, like you know, for for Real, like I, and then also having to share money with those teams, like that's why all the pure market wonks were sort of being like, "What's wrong with this?" Because the pure market incentives obviously align with something like the Super League, but I don't know. You probably shouldn't destroy world the world soccer ecosystem and just have it be like eight clubs, you know, um, and everything else is the minor leagues, even if that's a reality of it you will be basically gutting all those fans of those different clubs. And that does make up a lot of the world ecosystem in terms of soccer fandom, you know? And it's uh, like, I don't know. You can say the same thing about baseball, right? And say, why don't we just make it 10 teams? And eh, there's no real U.S. analog because, like you said, there's no relegation. So, But how, um, would, how would relegation work in the NBA? It's like, let's say the NBA was like a 16-team league with relegation. Well, you would have, I mean, you could have like 200 teams around the country. Right. So, but I'm imagining like, okay, a team disappoints like, uh, like, so let's say like the Pelicans this year and misses and gets relegation. Zion is not going to go play in the like second tier. He's immediately going to move up. Right. But then that would be the point where 
the Pelicans would have to probably sell Zion. Right. Right. Because they're not going to generate any money because they don't have the shared revenue sharing in the second league. And so they can't actually afford Zion anymore. So Zion would have to go, you know, would be on the open market to go play for the Lakers or something. I find the pricing, the dynamics interesting. I'm just surprised. I think if it was happening in the NBA, it would just lead to like the same teams at the top all the time. Like the NBA does have a weird level where you actually can come from the bottom because you can hold assets at the bottom while being terrible. Right, right. There's no the process with relegation, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, it also makes it, though, that a rich owner can buy a team and suddenly make them good, too, which is kind of exciting, right? Which is tough in the NBA. Right. Because there are a lot of rich guys who own really shitty NBA teams (laughs) and they have no hope because they missed, like, two draft picks, you know? And then they have, you know, they just have garbage all around them. Um, I know how one of those teams could get better, though. NFT ticketing. Vivek. (laughs) Call me. Call me Vivek. (laughs) <laughs> okay cool if, i want 20 percent if i could get you in, in contact with vivek or or mark cuban i will extend i will extend the 20 percent to uh kings dot uh, and uh, i hope we can speak again soon okay cool thanks aaron talk to you soon that was coin talk our editor is james nicholson my co-host is jay kang i'm aaron lammer I have a new podcast out. It's out today, Monday, May 10th. It's called Exit Scam. Check it out at exitscam.show. Would really appreciate the support. We're going to try and do coin talk whenever I can talk Jay into it. So hopefully I'll be seeing you soon. Thanks for listening.